Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Preacher Dad Podcast. My name is Jared. I am the Preacher Dad, and I blog over at PreacherDad.com, where we exist to inspire and equip Christians to engage in the culture war and impact the next generation by proclaiming Christ. That is what we're trying to do, and I'm glad that you found me and have decided to tune in and join us today. I want to come back to our Foundations series. We've been preaching, well, I've been preaching. (laughs) We've been studying through the book of Genesis together, and uh, this is a series I did a few years ago uh, when I was pastoring in Virginia, and it was really enriching and really exciting and fun to see where the Lord was taking us, so I wanted to come back to that for the podcast audience. The first 10 episodes um, are original recordings, and uh, right now we have uh, gotten into, uh, well, I'm I'm re-preaching those messages to you, so let's get into it today. Uh, Today we are going to talk about a commandment observed, and we will read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 17, and I'll read that to you. Genesis 2, 8 through 17. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, there is Bedelium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the, name it, the same is it that compassed the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hydekel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And that is our reading for today. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about this passage of Scripture and some observations we can glean from this this commandment given to Adam in the garden. First of all, though, we learn in this passage about the garden itself. It's a paradise perfected. God selected the most attractive trees to provide good food for Adam to eat. He didn't just select trees that, you know, tasted good or were good for you. He also selected trees that were good to look at. He took care not only to provide for Adam's necessity, but to make it beautiful. And again, this shows us that God appreciates things that are of beauty. He values beauty, such as art, flowers, music, etc., he, he cares about making things attractive. Uh, obviously, he made me. Therefore, he must want to make attractive things. Ha, 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 ha. Okay. Anyway, moving right along. God does value things that are beautiful. And he made a beautiful world. And we can see that every time we go outside. 
we see beautiful things. And this world was even corrupted and damaged by the flood of Noah's day. And in spite of that, it's still glorious and beautiful. And imagine the paradise that Eden would have been. He created a paradise for this man to live in. This is a loving father preparing a pleasant space for his child. This is, you know, Adam, he is excited to, or pleased, I guess we should say. I guess we should say that he is pleased to create this paradise. Um, But even a garden requires tending, even perfect ones. But the tending of the garden was to be a delight. It was not burdensome. Work was not burdensome until after the fall. So this was um, a, a pleasant, delightful work that God created for Adam to do. It was perfect work. And every tree was beautiful and its fruit was good for you. This was the best food in the world. All the best food in the world was at Adam's fingertips. Adam had perfect food. He had perfect work. He had perfect food. He also had perfect companionship. First of all, every animal in the world was nearby and none would threaten to harm him. They probably had no fear of man either. So, you know, there was no there was no stinging. Uh, no, the snakes weren't going to bite you. The spiders weren't going to bite you. The bees weren't going to sting you. The tigers weren't going to eat you. <laughs> None of that was happening. They were just beautiful animals. Any of you who are animal lovers know what a glorious, a wonderful experience that would be to be able to see all of the animals and interact with them without fear of harm. But in addition to that, and we haven't got to that part of the story just yet, but in addition, God created a perfect helper to Adam. He created the perfect spouse. So Adam had, he enjoyed all the blessings and joys of marriage without any of the problems that come from selfishness or sin. None of those hindrances were messing up the unity and the oneness of his marriage. So he had perfect work, he had perfect food, and he had perfect companionship. This was just an absolute paradise of existence. And honestly, friends, I think that the Lord is preparing that for us again one day, that uh, one day we will again enjoy that same paradise of relationship with Him and with one another um, when He comes back. No one knows the location of this garden today or if it is even still there. Um, I believe that it is still there somewhere, Um, it seems like someone would have found it by now, but certainly you cannot get in. The Lord put a flaming angel, uh, an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance of the garden. But I think we'll get to see it one day, don't you? But see, this passage of Scripture teaches us that from the beginning, from the beginning, our Father wanted us to be happy and prosperous. He's not a God that rejoices in discomfort or pain, and that sort of conflicts with the common misconception that God enjoys causing suffering. Um, But He doesn't. He wanted our lives to be perfect. He wanted 
our experience in his world to be very pleasant and joyful. So not only do we see this perfect paradise prepared for for Adam, but we see also a fruit forbidden. God forbids him from eating a certain fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why not? Now, this is a question I've asked myself for a long time. Why not just leave it out if it's going to kill Adam? If eating the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, eating of that fruit, will kill Adam or any of his family, why put it in the garden at all? Why not just leave it out? Well, friends, I have to tell you, I'm not sure of the purpose. <laughs> I, I don't think that I have a very satisfying answer for you. Um, I know that it was important that it be there. Some people have said that it was necessary to be in the garden so that Adam's free will could be exercised. He had to have something forbidden so that he could freely choose to obey. Um I believe in free will. I believe that it exists. I believe that God would not have made a robot that could do nothing but love him. Uh, He obviously didn't. Uh, But I I don't think that love without the ability to, to choose against it, love without free will is not truly love. Free will is necessary. So because free will is necessary, some people have said that this tree of the knowledge of good and evil had to be there so that Adam could express and could have free will. Now, I'm not completely convinced that that is a persuasive argument. Uh, it's, it's, I'm just not convinced that that was the reason or even the main reason that God put that tree in the garden. But as of right now, I don't have a good answer for you, at least not one that satisfies me. The only thing I know for sure is that God had a reason for it being there, that it was important. It was important that it be there in the garden. And, you know, sometimes we don't always understand the reason behind what God does. We don't necessarily grasp a hold of his reasons or his purposes behind things. But our faith should endure that. Our faith should be able to handle it when we don't know exactly the reason God does something. Um, and, uh, you know, if there's some great theologian out there or great thinker that has a good answer for me, I would love to hear about it. Um, I would love to get it. So, uh, I, I apologize for not having a better answer for you. I just know that it was needed. God wouldn't have done that arbitrarily for no good reason. Uh, threatening Adam's life and, and Eve's life. He wouldn't have done that. So there was a good reason for it to be there, and God said, do not eat of it. That is, I think, the main key that I want us to take away from that, that God's command not to eat was meant to protect Adam. It was not meant to damage him or or have him miss out, which is the lie that the, the, the enemy tells him later on. God didn't want you to have, you know, he's, he wants you to miss out on these great, special, wonderful blessings. No, God was trying to protect Adam, because this tree would bring death to Adam. To eat of this fruit was going to bring Adam death. The literal translation in verse 17 says, 
die in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. It says, dying thou dost die. Uh, it was not an immediate physical death that was going to occur, but it was the death of the soul and the body would be immediately planted in the heart of Adam and Eve, and that it would eventually bring forth fruit, but it would begin to grow immediately. So another way to, to say that is to say you will begin dying and will eventually die completely. That's another way to understand what the literal translation is. You'll begin dying and eventually you'll completely die. Now, if this tree is going to bring Adam death, wouldn't you warn your children off of it also? If you are in that garden, it's perfect, it's the best food everywhere, everything is beautiful, everything is peaceful, joyful, all unity, no sin yet, and there's one tree that would cause you to die, don't you think you would warn your children off of it? I would. Don't you go near that tree, you stay far away from it. And that's what Jesus, that's what God was saying to Adam. He's saying, don't eat of this tree, because if you do, you will die. God has a very good reason for forbidding things. And in this instance, it was to preserve Adam's life. Let's observe the commandment. We have a paradise perfected. We also have a fruit that's forbidden. Now we have a commandment observed. The principle here is that God's commands bring life. God's commands bring life. We have a, a, a really false idea about God's commandments, that they somehow are death or bring death. God's commandments are life. They are meant to bring life. The very first commandment was be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. This, this is a... a Dominion mandate, it's the commandment, that, and it brings about life. Be fruitful and multiply. The first commandment given in the Bible, and it is a positive one, and it is a, a, life-giving, excuse me, a life-giving commandment. The second commandment in the Bible is do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That preserves life. The first one creates or brings about life. The second commandment preserves that life. God is a God of life. He is a living God, and He loves life, and He wants us to preserve it and protect it. And His commandment here, He's given to Adam, preserves life. Let me share with you some further scriptural principles. Uh, I'm sorry, further scriptural uh, verses that indicate this principle to us. First, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 17. Let's turn there real quickly. Matthew 19, 17 says, And he said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. What about John chapter 12, verse 50? Let's go there. John 12, verse 50. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. His commandment is life everlasting. That is the commandment of God. That was Jesus speaking there. 
And then Romans chapter 7, Romans 7 verse 10, it says, And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. I found to be unto death. It was ordained to life, but it was unto death because of sin. It wasn't because the commandment itself was was death or sinful. It's because it was uh, it was sin that made it sort of it leads to death it because of sin. Look at Leviticus 18, verse 5. It says, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. And then uh, lastly, Revelation 22, verse 14. Revelation 22, verse 14. It says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. The principle is that commandments, God's commands, bring life. He's not sitting in heaven trying to think of ways to make our lives miserable and using His commandments to make our lives a burden. The commands of God are not oppressive, I mean, they are oppressive if we try to keep them in our own flesh. That's what the point of the law was, was to point out how insufficient our flesh was and how we need to live by faith. Uh, Paul said in Romans, the just shall live by faith. And that was always true, and it always is true. We have to live by faith, but the fact that is, is undeniable is that the commandments of God bring life. We can't obey the commandments in our own strength, but that doesn't make the commandments a, a means of death. It makes them, they, they are life. They give life, they bring life to us, to our uh, daily existence. And we need to recognize that. The commands that God has laid out in the Bible are not some burdensome trap. They are given to us to help protect, preserve, and guide our lives to be full, to be enriching. Um, And I'm not trying to say that we get our salvation through keeping the commandments or, or anything of that sort, but we need to understand the commands of God in the right context, the context that they were meant to have. You see, the Bible says that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So if the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that is a good thing. Those commands bring us to Christ because we realize we cannot fulfill the law. We cannot fulfill the law in our flesh. We must walk in righteousness by faith. But that doesn't mean that that righteousness is somehow not worth pursuing or that the commands of God we should just throw away because, well, I'm under grace. Well, yeah, you're under grace. You're under grace. In order to walk in righteousness, I hope I'm being clear. I'm not trying to say that we have to keep the law or, or 
we have to obey God's commandments uh, in our flesh. But what I am saying is that those commandments are the measure of righteousness, and that the, the fulfillment of the law is summed up by loving God and loving others. When we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, we are fulfilling the law, the law of Moses, by fulfilling the law of Christ. And we don't, we're not even able to do that at all in our flesh. It's all by grace. It is all by grace, and it's all by um, this power and strength of the Lord. But those commandments bring life and are designed to protect and guide us into a more pleasant walk. We must begin to see His commands as for our benefit, not as some kind of a killjoy. The commandments like, Thou shalt not murder, they're not meant to keep us from the fun of murder. They are meant to preserve life. The commandments like, Thou shalt not commit adultery, those are meant to preserve families, preserve marriages, and not to bring about the death of those institutions. Commandments like, um, Honor thy father and thy mother. He says, That thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. You honor your father and mother, your days are long upon the land. A long life is given to you uh, upon this earth. Uh, commandments like, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Love the Lord your God with all... Well, no, that, uh, the commandment, uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. To serve other gods is to serve the death gods. To serve other things is to bring about an unfulfilling life, but to serve the Lord is to bring about a life of fulfillment and joy. So these commandments bring life to us, and we need to stop looking at them as some sort of oppressive burden uh, that uh, God put there so that we won't have any fun. Uh, That's just not what they're for. They were never for that. Even at the very beginning, his commandment not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't because, oh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is uh, uh, such wonderful fruit and it's so delicious, and God doesn't want Adam to taste any of it or, or anything like that. It was to preserve Adam's life. And that's what I want us to see in this passage. So next time you read a commandment in your Bible or one of those famous thou shalt not statements, remember to embrace it as for your good. It is intended for your benefit. All right, friends. Well, that's all I have for you today. I hope that you'll go online and check us out at PreacherDad.com and check out some of the information we have for you there. You can listen to archives of the program. You can subscribe to our newsletter, The Preacher Dad Post, uh, which is still under construction. Come on, give me a break. I got eight kids. I got lots to do. But I hope that you're having a great day, that your day gets better from here, and that God will greatly bless you with more of himself. All right. See you next time. Bye-bye.